0: song to help me let go to free myself. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Sahil Sit. Today's podcast is called Ground Zero, Land Back. You know, I learned about first cause from my wife, that there's a first cause for everything. It made sense to me when she told me. So anyway, I started to look. Once I recovered, went, went into recovery from not using alcohol and drugs, once I got onto that path of being alcohol and drug-free, I started to heal. And I, part of my healing was in Travel. Like, uh, we went to England, so I went to Plymouth, which is um, mouth of the Ply River (laughs) southwestern England, because that's where I wanted to go there, because in my mind, that's where Captain Vancouver, Captain Cook, the ones that came to the west coast, that's where they pushed off from, that's where they left from. So I went there in my way of thinking at that time, thinking this might be ground zero, but I was wrong. Yes, they pushed off from there. Uh, Explorers, the the colonizers left from that port. When I was there I seen this old heritage house made out of stone five rooms and then the information plaque it said in England in Plymouth it was not uncommon that there would be up to 55 or 65 people living in a five-room house. That was—I uh, gotta admit—it was like a shock to me. <laughs> in my mind, you know, I remember living on the rez. I think all white people were rich, never had problems. They lived in nice places. Growing up on the rez, you know, you're in isolation like living on an island, so you don't see what other people are doing, how they're living. So in England, I found out, started to learn about the upper class and the peasants. And the peasants were overcrowded, and they were struggling in life. Then I started to have an understanding of why those ones would leave their homeland. Found out that there were many that wanted to make a living off the land and could not do it in England. So when they were offered free land, of course, I fantasized about this, thinking it must have felt like winning the lottery. Because one of my readings I saw was that they were attracting settlers with the promise of 547 free acres of land. So they came, they immigrated, they migrated to North America. They brought with them gifts or what we thought were amazing things. They brought good and bad. The bad, part of the bad was the smallpox and other sicknesses that my people never had before. The smallpox, I was reading that 85% of the and people perished from that pandemic called smallpox. They brought alcohol, which has caused a lot of suffering for my people. We never had alcohol in our way of life. They brought our language as Reading an article the other day, and they interviewed an elder about education. And the elder said they took our boys and girls to school and they come back and one of the things they've learned was how to swear at one another. And I never thought of that before, but that's true. I grew up as a little boy not hearing people swearing at each other. And some, you know, the good is um, the tools, the implements that they brought that we did not have. One of my elders said, we used whatever's good, so they had good with them too. So in my recovery, my eyes opened. Now I could see and Feel the beautiful Mother Earth, sacred spaces, healing places. I remember walking in my community on a moonlight winter night, feeling, hearing the crunch of the snow under my feet as I was walking to visit my cousins. And I looked in the top. I could see the snow-covered mountain and the moon. And it's like I could see the snow swirling around the mountaintop. It was so beautiful. When I was in active addictions, I never would have seen or felt that. You know, in that same winter, my uncle took me to a ceremony by the lake, sweat lodge. And I remember, it's so hot. They tell us, go out, get into the lake. I go out and get into the lake, cool my body down. And I was standing in the lake and I was looking into the sky. And I could see the stars and the Milky Way. And it was like the Milky Way was a river, it was moving. And I remember standing there laughing, feeling joy from seeing and feeling this beauty. And I remember saying to my uncle, Uncle, you mean I've been doing drugs and drinking to feel good and I could have been doing this? And he says, yes. You know, the beautiful mountains, lakes, rivers, in my territory. I started to see and feel where we pick berries, where we fish for salmon, where we hunt for deer, all of those places, beautiful places. Then I started to travel away from my community, working, Yeah, I'd go down to the west coast. I got invited to a place called Pebble Beach, Duchanath territory. And we were camping out. And I'd go for a walk and I'd see Sandy Beach. And I see the Pebble Beach, all these round stones. So beautiful. So wonderful being with the people. We are all camping where they used to live as Nuchanas people. Oh, it was wonderful. In my mind, I say, this is the way it used to be. I was packing wood for their fire. They had a central fire on the beach. People standing around there. And I pack wood for them and I was packing wood and they said hey come on we're going to eat so I went and they had shellfish in the fire oh they're pulling them out and we're eating so delicious so good such a wonderful place pebble beach cedar trees Ocean, sand, and pebble beach. You know, I count myself lucky for witnessing this, seeing this, and feeling it. I'd go to different communities, and I would see the forests, see the rivers. The ocean. And the blessing from recovery is I could feel it. The beauty. Another West Coast place I went to was Santa Cruz, California. And these two young men asked me if I'd like to go to their sweat lodge. I said, yes, yes. They picked me up and we went, it was in a by a redwood forest. Oh, these only what I could say gigantic, huge, tall redwood trees. Giant (laughs) And they were telling me as we were sitting by the sweat lodge, you know all those trees are connected underground through the roots. If one of those trees catches fire, they send water to that tree and it puts the fire out from the inside out. (laughs) Whoa, togetherness, connectedness, working together. And they said, the bark, you look at that bark, it's made so it'll absorb moisture from the fog because they need that water. It was beautiful. I couldn't help but feel so tiny sitting amongst those trees. So small. And they felt I felt they were welcoming me. You know the magic of mother nature. The healing that's available when we go there. And we're respectful of what's there. I say that I remember my grandmother, my late grandmother. As a boy, I'd be walking with her and pick up a stick and pretend I'm sword fighting and I'm hitting flowers, trying to knock the flower off the stem of the plant. No, son, you don't hurt that plant. It hasn't hurt you. Leave it alone. Teaching me about respect for other living life forms. I told this story to a friend of mine. And he said she was teaching you that because she knew that if she let you harm, plants, insects, animals, just without purpose, that you would more than likely then, as you grew older, hurt people physically. And it made sense to me that, yes, that must be true. So beautiful (laughs) in a redwood forest. Then we're traveling again, my wife and I would go on road trips and we're in Arizona. Coming, driving along and there was vermilion cliffs and it was getting into the evening. So we stayed at this fishing lodge, little cabins, rented one for the night And I was into running then a lot, early in the morning. As a habit, I just put on my gear and go out the door and start running. And I was running on the highway. Went out to the highway and there's no traffic. And I start running. And there's mesquite, I think it's called mesquite, these trees like shrubs, almost like juniper. And I could smell them as I'm running. Then the sun started coming up from the east and I was running west. And I could see as the sun hit the vermilion cliffs, this beautiful colors of vermilion like a red-pink color. As the sun started to travel, it lit up more of the cliffs. And I was in awe of the beauty of the vermilion cliffs. And I was running and I'd watch. And I realized, I better head back because the sun's going to be up in its hut there. So I started running back. Distracted by beauty. (laughs) It was so beautiful. From there we carried on to the Grand Canyon. Grand is a beautiful word. It doesn't seem to be enough. Just before we got there we seen mountain sheep with their curly horns... up in the mountains, looking at us, curious. (laughs) Then we got to the Grand Canyon. could see the river down below. So huge, this canyon. Frightening in a way, so far down. I heard about that river. They're concerned about drought. And that's where I'd say land back. You know, I wanted, my mind, I wanted to be the way it was. That's what land back means to me today you now. Same with Pebble Beach or any of the beautiful places I've been to. Land back. Let's bring it back to its original estate. I also got to travel to Hawaii and see the... It's just like it's desert and jungle, one side desert, one side jungle, but it seems to me the perfect climate. You know, not too hot, not too cold. It's um, the ocean waves where you watch them come rolling in and crash on the beach. It's just so I love the sound of waves and to look at them the white caps as they fold over, the changing of the color of the water and the ocean, and the sandy beaches. I'd go in the morning, running in the morning, and I'd see the stars, and I'd hear the surf coming in. So beautiful. Then we went to where active volcanoes were mind-blowing to gaze on lava. We had seen the lava through a crack in the rock, flowing, molten, mineral rock, (laughs) moving like liquid, And I think that's happening 24-7. It's mind-boggling to me. (laughs) That it's like that. It's like holy, holy, holy. Could I say holy cow? (laughs) So it was like holy for me there. Another place I went to, it's Ocean the Caribbean went to a place called St. Kitts. Oh, mango forests. Mango, you could just pick a mango and eat it. It's so beautiful. I went snorkeling in the ocean there. In such a small place, there's hardly anyone. I was the only one on the beach. I rented these fins in the snorkel and I was... Swimming and diving, looking at these goldfish of all colors. It was amazing. And there was like a little canyon as I was swimming along. So I started to, I dove under and I was swimming under. the Walls of a canyon on each side of me. And I could hear this tick, tick, tick. Don't worry, what's that? And I look down on the bottom of that canyon. And there's a goldfish with a long snout blowing a little pebble along the bottom of the ca- canyon. I'm saying, whoa, it's amazing. Land back. Keep it there. Keep it the same. You know, on my other journey on Turtle Island, I went to the plateau and the Rocky Mountains. I come from the Coast Mountains. They're beautiful. Waterfalls, forests, beautiful. You go into the plateau, it's semi-arid. Pine trees, sage, Juniper, would go there, invited to a camp by elders at al Rock Camp, and they called us to lay teachings at our feet. And I think about it and the reason I'm doing this podcast. They were telling us what's going to happen and telling us, teaching us how to live on the land. They built a sheishkin, what people call a pit house, because half of the house is underground. So you must learn how to build these again. Live off the land, because there's a change coming. And the ones that listen and know how to live off the land are going to make, going to survive the change. This was in the 80s. But I remember that camp. It was so quiet there, so beautiful. We'd have sweat ceremonies, burn medicine, eat good food, listen to stories. So beautiful. So I got to See and feel that beauty. Going with an elder in the springtime. Come on, nephew, we're going to go get medicine for the lodge. And we go out in the springtime and he's picking plants, tree branches, filling his bag and he's singing. And we go and we put it in a water bucket for the sweat lodge. And we use it. And it smells so nice. It's medicine, he says, to help us. So beautiful. Then I go to the foothills in Alberta. Go through the Rocky Mountains, majestic mountains, oh, tall mountains. End up in Alberta. Again, it's so beautiful on the land. We went to this place, I believe it's called Castle Rock. and We built a sweat lodge there. So green, smells so nice. Birds, squirrels, other creatures all around. This so beautiful. Feel so at peace, so grounded. We're working together. Then um uh, I traveled to the east coast. What they now call Labrador, Newfoundland. I went there first in the winter time. First time in my life is negative fifty weather. And I went there my my boss at the time says she You buy a parka, snow boots, mitts, skidoo pants, you're going to need it where you're going. (laughs) I had no idea. But I'm so glad I had it and I got there. So cold. And the people are living there. The good memories I have of that is the caribou. We're having a workshop away from the community in this huge tent canvas tent with a stove in it spruce boughs on the floor it smells so nice in there and i'm doing a workshop and our lunch was they'd bring a hindquarter of caribou and we cook it on the fire oh it was so good laughing no electricity in the tent on the land land back, you know, let's keep those places. Then I come back in the summer in July, and I tell the people I want to live in the tent by the ocean with spruce boughs on the floor. When I got there, there it was. They showed me my tent. Uh, end of June when I got there, July 1st, I was in my tent, and it's cold. And I had a little tiny wood stove, and I was making my fire, and it warms up quick. <laughs> and I, I look out my tent door, and it's snowing in Labrador and July 1st. But it heated up after that became summer. But that was beautiful. Living by the ocean in a tent. I went out with the men. They're gathering eggs, seagull eggs, duck eggs, goose eggs on the islands. And we're going on this boat and there was icebergs floating in the ocean. And the color of the water around those icebergs was just so beautiful, indescribably beautiful. It's blue, white, different. I, I couldn't explain it, but it was just so beautiful. And we'd walk on the islands and gather eggs, and the men were hunting for geese. They didn't get any that day, but we got eggs. That same summer, I got to ceremony, sweat lodge, away from the community. The door faces east, and we're having ceremony, and I'm looking out when they open the door. My mind is saying somewhere over there is England, Europe. <laughs> Not knowing I'd go there, and it was in another gathering there in this huge. Well, it's a double teepee, double wide teepee. The elders told the young men to put it up and they wanted to meet with me. So up goes the teepee. And the elders come. I hadn't seen them in the community. I didn't even know they were there. They're asking me questions about the West Coast, about the people. And I would tell them about our struggles, about the good things, about the berries, the salmon, the deer. I'd tell them both sides, the good and the bad. So they asked asking me questions, and then they finished. And they were speaking Eno only, and I had an interpreter. And they said to their interpreter after they finished asking me questions, they said, ask him if he he has a question for us. I said, yes, I do. This comes, you know, how things happen. It just comes out of nowhere, seems like it. I said to their interpreter, ask him if they know why we're in trouble right across Canada with poverty, addictions, violence, loss of language, etc., etc., etc. So he asks them. And they're speaking together in their language. And there's silence. And the interpreter says, They know, Jerry. He says, Oh. And he says, They want to tell you that we're in trouble as people because we're breaking our own laws. And they gave an example of the long bones and the caribou because they followed the caribou all their lives for centuries, lived off the land, and their caribou was one of their main food. The elders said that they used to, bundle up the long bones, the legs, and hang them in trees to let the caribou know we respect you. We thank you for being our food. And the elder said, you go down to the community here and you see dogs dragging around long bone. We're breaking the law. Once we break one of our laws, we break another and another and another. And that's why we're in trouble. It made sense to me because until that time I was blaming the government and the church for all our problems, alcohol and drugs. Changed me. That teaching those elders gave me. While I was there I crashed or burnt out. I was working by myself with the people. And I, you know, in my tent, Sunday, saying, I want to go home, I'm done. I've given everything I can give, I'm done. Mm-hmm. said to my boss, send me home, and he says, no, you're doing good, Jerry. They're listening to you. People like what you're saying. And I said, <laughs> part of my life. I have a hard time saying no, so I say okay. But that Sunday I was sitting in my tent depressed. So when you free yourself, you can heal. And what happened with me was the thought came to me that what's happening here and what's happening with all of the indigenous people are literally man-made problems, therefore we can fix them. When I I was weeping, when I was thinking these thoughts, I was tired. But when the thought came out, man-made problem, we can fix it, I had strength again. I could work again. So that was uh, Labrador. Big teachings there for me. Then uh, Ground Zero. I said, where did it start? Plymouth. Plymouth Rock in Massachusetts. So I was at the Summer Games, North American Indigenous Summer Games in Nova Scotia. my wife, I was an elder for Team BC, one of the elders. Oh, it was so good, by over 5,000 young athletes from North America. Watched them compete, laugh, and have a good time, and Be worried about, you know, losing, whatever. It was good. My wife says, we'll go to Boston. Oh, good. I said, I want to go to Plymouth Plymouth Rock. So we stayed in Airbnb in Falmouth, not too far from Plymouth. (laughs) So Plymouth to Plymouth. I went to Plymouth, England, and I go to Plymouth in the United States of America, and I find out that Massachusetts is the language of the people that were there. You know, the first ones, the Uchelamiocha, the original people. Such a opportunity to be what I had called ground zero. The place is called Pat Yuhit, which means a place of running water for the, Wamp- the Wampanoag people, the Uhlamehah or Wampanoag. Their language was Massachusetts. In 1614, they were hit by the smallpox, the plague. And they lost, they say, between 90 and 95% of their population. First ones in North America, ground zero. The pilgrims came in. and There was cornfields. Wampanoag people were corn. They grew corn, beans, and squash. Pilgrims moved into their cornfields and built houses there, took over. Even then, The Wampanoag people, before the plague, were helping the people from Europe survive the cold and helping them, teaching them what foods to have. That happened right across North America. and people helped Simon Fraser. You know, and, uh, with the Wampanoags, I read this. We are at this heritage site. And it says, one of the statements were the interactions between the Wampanoag and these English people over 70, the first 70 years was cooperative. Wampanoags were helping them, teaching them. And also it became adversarial. They'd fight each other. Wampanoags were protecting themselves and their people until they got hit with the smallpox. But that 70 years shaped what's going on now in modern North America. Colonization, disease, alcohol, and taking over the land that they occupied and used for thousands of years. I met a Wampanoag, and it's talking about what happened. Land back. And she says, yes, people think when, we, when I say land back that I want to land back. I want land where I can do ceremony, where it's beautiful, where it's peaceful. And I agreed with her. Because this land back, I used to think when I'd hear people say land back, nobody's going anywhere. They're not going to give our land back. And so it perturbed me, it get me angry, get me depressed. So I don't want to talk about land back. But now I'm talking about land back. Let's bring it back to the way it used to be so we can all enjoy it. We can all live off it. Because it is a beautiful country, coast to coast to coast. I've been on the mountains, on the oceans, the rivers, the lakes, the forests. That, you know, up in the Alpine, it's so beautiful when you're on top of the mountains. So quiet and smells so good in the summertime, you know. Beautiful. The mountain meadows with their flowers, the scent. When you go to these places on the ocean, on the beaches, in the mountains, in the forest, It's so beautiful, so peaceful. You can't help but feel harmony. Being grounded and connected. Being part of the beauty on Mother Earth. You know, because of recovery, dealing with my mental health issues around trauma, residential school, racism, religion, Res, you know reservations, RCMP, all of the traumas that we've experienced as a people. It's all gone when I'm in the sacred, beautiful spaces. Can't help it because of my recovery. Nothing altering me like alcohol or drugs. I see a tree, it's a tree, it's a beautiful tree. When I see the ocean, it's powerful. The tide is powerful. So I'm so glad I recovered and I started to wake up. So I can see. I can hear. I can touch. More importantly, I can feel the magic, the beauty of a full moon night. Thunder and lightning in the sky. (laughs) Crash, lightning, snow, and rain. Oh, that snow to me is magical. And you walk out in the snow and it's got that special silence. So white, so clean. And to feel the rain coming on top of your head, my head and my shoulders. And to feel that rain. And how it cleanses the air, cleanses everything around me. It's powerfully beautiful and magical. Land back. Let's all work together to maintain what we have and to help the land recover where it's been polluted, where it's been harmed. I've seen the destruction of the forests, of pollution and water in the air. Here are the frightening statistics about extinction, something disappearing forever. We'll never see it again or hear it again. It's going to be gone. Yeah, I remember a warning from an elder saying, you know, when the birds fall from the sky and the fish are floating billy up in the water. The change is here. This summer I've seen pictures of fish floating belly up and I couldn't help but think of the birds in the forest fires flying through the air and smoke overcoming them and them falling to earth. I say, is the change here? Is this happening Now? And I remember the elders. They're not saying it's the end of the world. But we're saying the ones that listen to the old teachings are the ones that are going to make it. And that we must work together. You know, when I think of those poor fish, and I hear about water in the ocean and Florida being the same temperature as the water in a hot tub. Harmful for the fish. I know it's the same in the rivers in BC. When the water gets too warm, it hurts a fish. And I have often wondered, why can this carry on? Why doesn't anyone, why don't we stop it? And the thought had come to me as I was writing this podcast. It's unhealthy people that are making the land, air, and water unhealthy. They need a healing. You know, I've come to understand one of the sicknesses is greed. And it's tough to heal because a greedy one just doesn't know when's enough is enough. There's no enough for them, they just want more. But if they can get a healing, because they have so much influence with their wealth. Can they be healed? And I say, yes. It requires all of us to become responsible and accountable. Responsible means able to respond. Are we able to respond? The indigenous way of life before contact was a sustainable way of life. No extinction. Always going to be the same year after year after year because of our laws and principles. We lived for generations. You know, the seven generations law, where we're saying to ourselves, like a generation is 80 years, that 560 years from now, Our descendants are going to have what we have and we're going to work so that they could even have more. I mean, what a way to think, what a way to live. Seven generations. Another elder I heard say, it's not seven generations, it's forever. But I can see the seven generations bringing sense because when I say 560 years from now, will my descendants have salmon? Yes, they will if we all work together. The other law of being respectful. When I started to respect myself, I can respect others. I can respect the salmon, the deer, the plants, the medicines, and people. That law of generosity. When I can give without expectation of anything coming back, but knowing it will come back. To share with people that have nothing. When I have more, that's a good law. That elder doesn't have fish, bring them fish. They don't have the heart of the deer, bring them the heart of the deer because they love that. Be generous with your time and your teachings about how to live a good life and to love. I'd learned my view. Love is not a feeling, it's a positive commitment that's consistent. And when you commit yourself to people, then those good feelings, because they know you're consistent, that they trust your word, they believe in you, that the good feelings flow between each other. So we must become active participants in our family, in our community, and the country. That wonderful teaching of let's say hello to our problems so we can say goodbye to them. The pollution is here. It's causing climate change, global warming. Let's put our minds together to see what we can do in our communities. You know, Indigenous people had laws and principles on how to live together in harmony in our homes and community and on the land. So, you know, ground zero? Let's make a ground zero of healing in our homeland. We must unite and work together, connect with one another, to work together, to become one mind, one body, one spirit in regards to our life and the life of our the ones that are following us. That's what I, now when I say land back, that's what I'm saying inside of myself. This is This j- belief, this is Sahil. it that has come to this understanding that land back means bring it back to the way it was. I follow that teaching that the land never belongs to me. I belong to the land, which is a good way. So that's my podcast. And ground zero and land back. I started a podcast singing a grieving song, Stetlium, grieving song. And grieve means to carry heaviness. So when I sing the song, I start to feel lighter. I start to let go. Because this has been troubling me, the forest fires, the floods, the pandemic and things. And it distracts me from looking for solutions. So now I know the solutions is we must revive the old laws of tribal people, indigenous people. Then we can reverse what's happening land back to being safe, clean environments, healing places. That's what it means to Sahil that today. So so nice be able to talk to you, to share my thoughts and beliefs with you through this modern storytelling platform called podcast. It helps me to sort my mind out, to remind me of what's right, what's wrong, to keep me going. So you have a wonderful summer. Teach your children how to harvest food in a good way, berries, medicine, deer, fish, birds, whatever it was, and how we used to live on the land. That'll be our ground zero, going back to our teachings. Thank you.